This is Chase the Vase podcast where we share hope uh, for those struggling with addiction, hope for those suffering right along with the addict, and hope for those who are doing it on a daily like you, brother. Staying sober and being sober is an anomaly today. Most do not reach sobriety. Life gets in the way of that. We have three different choices when dealing with addiction. You either die and get covered up, get locked up, or sober up. Think about that. When was the last time you saw an old drug dealer? The young man's game and it doesn't last that long. So this podcast, The Chase to Vase, will examine the lives of men and women who have who currently hunt sobriety. You gotta understand that sobriety is not passive, it will not come to you, it cannot complete it by osmosis or just thinking about it. Sobriety takes effort, work, grind, passion, changing everything, relentless focus, rigorous honesty, and real intent. We'll shine a light on the addiction process using guests who are currently in recovery, like my man today, those who are in active addiction or those who have created examples for us to follow today. That is what we have. We have Ryan Huber, man, my man, 27 years old. And uh, number one, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, and I'm just thankful for all the guests and and those people who are going to be listening to this and, and get to hear your story, man. Your story is epic, man. It's different. So what I like is if you don't mind just for me to tell, like I found you or I, I'm a, I'm a, on a Facebook group and I saw your story, your blurb, you were wanting to share your strength and hope with other people. And all I read was the fact that you had shot yourself, but I know that's kind of not the, not the tip and not the rock bottom that everybody thinks about. If you don't mind, Ryan, would you mind just sharing kind of your story yeah, absolutely. So my life has been, there's been a lot of ups and downs and uh, addiction's always been pretty prominent for me. Uh, I had a, a pretty normal childhood growing up, but once I turned like 15, I just got that rebellious nature and uh, just kind of went against everything. And uh, it started out, uh, I just started drinking quite a bit with my buddies. You know, we were in high school, it was like a normal thing to do. Um, and then that quickly got out of control and uh addiction caught up to me pretty quick and you know before i knew it i was just sitting by myself drinking a half gallon of rum like every day and being miserable and you know i would go and hang out with my friends and everything would be normal but it was the times where i didn't have my friends there and i was stuck with my thoughts and like i never really dealt with anything i just kind of drank so I could not feel it. And that's a scary place for me to be in. Uh, but yeah, to what you're saying with shooting myself, that was, uh, you know, I've strugg- struggled with depression pretty much all my life from as young as I can remember. And, uh, you know, there'd been a couple times in the past where I'd just like gotten to a point of where I was like, well, you know, like I think I just want to die. And, you know, like little things like just cutting myself for attention or whatever. And- so hold on, hold on. Cause I, cause I know a lot of us in addiction, we say that, but the thought of actually going through the process scares most people. Right. So let me ask you this. You talked about drinking. When did your, like, when did it start? The drinking? Yeah. When I was like 15, me and my buddy, he, he drank quite a bit and he was my best friend and we just kind of went at it. So you can remember the event. Was it, uh, was anybody around? Did you have a team of people? What, like, was it a one-time thing or what happened? As far as drinking or yeah. what? As far uh, as how your addictions really got started. You know, I think it was more of, like, me just trying to fit in with, like, the cool kids in school and drinking. It started out, like, a normal, well, I guess normal social event. But uh, I have an addictive personality, and, you know, anything I do, I 
usually do it to the extreme, whether it's good or bad. And with addiction, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. But I think it just started out as bad decisions and trying to have fun. So there was no, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, addiction is based on trauma. So you had a pretty normal upbringing, great life, families, friends. Yeah. Um, my parents were great. I had a super normal life. Like I, I was really blessed with the childhood that I did have. And, you know, my parents were together until I was 18 and then they got divorced. So my addiction started before that. And I, I really don't know what inside of me was going on. Go, okay, so you so you just wanted to fit in. That was that was what you're you're telling me. Yeah. Okay. So let's hear. It, let's hear. It. So you, you just wanted to fit in. You started drinking with that. But you still have contact with that buddy? Yeah, he's actually sober as well. He's good. Uh, he's, yeah, he's running a treatment facility down in California. Oh, I love it. So currently, you are you have 250 plus days sobriety. You're in a treatment center still right now, right? Yeah. That's kind of a sober living. How getting ready to to take the next step? Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it, man. Keep going. I love this. I don't know, my drinking just, it pretty much consumed me and having depression when I'm sober and then alcohol is a depressant as well. Like for a while I was functioning and, you know, I had a job and I had my own place and everything was going all right. But, it, you know, when I was stuck by myself with nothing to do and nowhere to go, just getting drunk, you know, that's when the real problem started hitting me. And then I started just, everything was going good in my life, man. And I started drinking at work and I was literally like, I didn't even want to drive my car because I was drunk all the time and I didn't want to DUI. And I ended up losing my job and losing my house. And uh, I moved back to my hometown, which is Prineville. It's a really small town. There's not a whole lot to do there. So a lot of people do just kind of drink and do drugs. And my mom let me move back in with her and she's kind of, my mom's a sweetheart and she, really helped me through a lot of things and didn't want me to be homeless so she let me live on her couch and uh you know I just remember not doing anything laying on her couch and she would one day she woke me up and she was like you know Ryan and she was kind of freaking out on me and she's like I'm not like you have to move out or you have to figure something out she's like I'm not just gonna sit here and watch you kill yourself on my couch because of my drinking, like I've been hospitalized so many times and she was just heartbroken because she didn't know what to do and didn't think she could do anything. And I didn't care. Like I was in my addiction and I didn't see any way out of it. And at that point I had gotten back in touch with one of my ex-girlfriends that was a heroin addict. And uh, we started hanging out and ended up dating. And uh, I was kind of living with her back and forth, but we were fighting all the time for obvious reasons. We're both addicts and, you know, nothing ever goes well there. But uh, this is kind of where the story gets a little deep for me. Um, her and I were having issues and I was at my mom's house and I didn't have anywhere to go. Me and that girl were supposed to hang out and we didn't end up hanging out because she was doing her own thing with some other guy, her drug dealer. And uh, I was just sitting there stuck with my own thoughts and uh my mom and her boyfriend came to me and they were going to go rock hounding because that's the thing that my mom likes to do. And they invited me to go. And I'd been thinking about ending my life for a couple of days at this point. And, uh, you know, I declined their offer. And then I was just sitting in her house and I had a half gallon. And it was like know, seven in the morning. And I just started chugging it and playing sad songs. And then, <clears throat> you know, I knew where her nine millimeter was. And uh, I went to her room and I grabbed it. And I 
held it to my head and I just thought for a while and cried and uh, I took it off of my head and I went back to a room and I pulled the clip out and I loaded it with hollow points and then something in me decided to take the hollow points out and throw it with full metal jackets because I mean if I would have shot myself with a hollow point I don't think I'd be here right now but uh, I had it loaded and then I held it to where I thought my heart was and I remember taking a deep breath and thinking you know, if I'm supposed to live, I'll live. And if I'm supposed to die, I'll die. And I had, I already had 911 feed out on my phone. So somehow I did live and I could figure that out. So maybe I didn't want to die. I don't know. I was just so lost and desperate at that point that I wanted something to change. And that's the only thing that I thought would work. So I pulled the trigger and it went in through my chest and out my side and I was sitting down, so it went through my arm and out my elbow, and uh, I don't remember anything after that until I was in the helicopter being life-flighted, and yeah, that was that experience. All right, man, so you just you just spilled your guts, man. You gave us a lot in there. I, I got to back up because I, I understand that, I mean, depression, sadness, accompanied by addiction, man, that, that that's just a disaster, a recipe for disaster, right? But if you don't yeah. mind, let's back up and let's kind of dissect this story, man, because it, it sounds like you have a lot going on that people could benefit from. Okay. Notice that your uh, sadness and depression were really kicking in. Was that before your addiction? Uh, Yeah. I mean, even when I was a little kid, man, like probably like 12 or 13, I just remember like I had a couple of my friends die and then... I don't know. It just opened my mind to that whole realm because I never really thought about death before. But having to go through having friends die, I don't know. I guess I don't know if enlightened me would be the right word, but I feel like that's what it did. And uh, yeah, I remember when I was like 12 or 13, I was like cutting myself and I just remember like blood being everywhere. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, not sure I was trying to do it to die, but I was like, it was a call for help, I believe. Were you, did you get any help? Did you tell anybody about it or, or how did that process take you? No, no, I pretty much just hid all of that. And then that girl that I was talking about, she noticed that I had like some pretty deep cuts and, but it didn't help because she was suicidal too. And so, I mean, we just kind of fueled each other's fires. And then later on, like in my addiction, I didn't reach out for help, but like my mom had found me a couple of times with my face just all bloodied up and, uh, my roommate found me a couple times and called the cops, so I had to deal with that and then go get like evaluated. And uh, you think it was more addiction related, or do you think it was more mental health related? You know, I don't know. I think it it was probably mental health, and then the addiction just that's what I was using to solve my mental health problems, which is not the right way to go about that because it just brought out way more issues and kind of tore me to pieces. So are you talking like self-medication? Yeah. So you were self-medicating so you didn't have to think on those and and work through those? Or or was it just you wanted to forget about it? I think it was just I didn't want to deal with anything that had any... I didn't want to deal with anything that I was scared of dealing with. And I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. And, you know, drugs and alcohol have always just helped me block that out and not feel. So I know listeners are going to ask me, they're going to text me and say, okay, so this guy had a, a great childhood. You know, you, you didn't experience much trauma related. When did all this start, start piling up on you to where you were, you started feeling the depression 
Your you were 18 when your mom and dad divorced. You you see what I'm saying? Like it did. There wasn't like a lead up, but 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 the, obviously the cap came off. Yeah, I don't. I think like the peak of my depression and everything coming together and me giving up on myself was in 2017 when I shot myself. But prior to that, like, I, I mean, I wasn't doing anything with my life, like, for two or three years before that. Like, I was just drinking and didn't have goals. And, you know, I just felt hopeless. And it, it did start out kind of small, like, with just little things. And then I just, I've always had a lot that I wanted to do with my life, and I didn't see a way to achieve those things. And rather than working on them and focusing on them, I just thought that it was unobtainable. So I gave up on them and then self-medicated. Yeah. So did you have like, other than this girlfriend of yours, did you have other influences that were kind of uh, pulling you down that were leading to this? I mentioned my hometown. That town has always, I mean, the drug problem and crime rate in that town is, it's pretty high. What town is and, it? Because I got to stay away from it. What's it called? <laughs> It's Primeville, Oregon. Okay, Oregon. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's a beautiful area. There's just not a lot to do, and uh, I know it's a small town. There's like ten thousand people that live there, and I know pretty much everybody that lives there. And ninety percent of the people I know suffer with addiction, and you know, we all kind of come together and we have our own little family in addiction. And in a sense, it, it was cool, but looking back, I mean, we were all just dragging each other down because misery loves company. So you were just chasing connection, man, with people like you wanted to be loved. Yeah, I mean, essentially. I mean, that's what you're doing now, right? I mean, you're just doing the opposite in a more healthier environment by finding a new community and more people to to fuel your now positive vibe. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, it, looking back at all of that, it was just trying to fit in and have a place to be because, you know, I've always wanted like a place to be and just feel normal you know like I'm an independent guy but having somewhere to go and feeling like you belong has always been something that I've searched for and sobriety has brought me that and it's a beautiful thing man like my life's improved insurmountably in like the short little time I've been sober so so tell me when were you homeless what point in time of your life I think I was 23 or 24 is it was after I shot myself okay so it was like 24 or 25 because you know, after I shot myself, I was admitted into uh, Sageview, which is like a kind of like an insane asylum. But that actually, that helped me quite a bit. And then I got out of that and went back to my mom's house in Primeville, which uh, worked for a while. But then I started getting back into drugs because they prescribed me Oxycontin for the pain. And then when that ran out, I just started seeking heroin and my mom had had enough of that. And she just told me, you know, like I kind of exploded on her one day and she's like, you need to leave. And I left with the clothes on my back and didn't have anywhere to go. And uh, that lasted for about a year and a half. So hold on, Ryan. So after you shot yourself, you continued an active addiction. Yeah. So I haven't drank since September 2nd, 2017, but yeah, that's, after I shot myself is when my addiction with heroin got the worst that it has ever been. All right, man. Was it due to this girl? I mean, I know we're not going to pass blame, man, had, but I'm... She had a, a part in it. Like, um, yeah, I'm not going to blame it on her because it was the way that I handled the situation. But I was heartbroken. And that, on top of just everything else I was going on, 
that was going on in my life. I just didn't feel like I could handle it. So she's an ex-girlfriend, and so you reacquainted with her and, and started developing a relationship even after the fact that she was an ex? Yeah, we were high school sweethearts. She was like my first girlfriend, and then we had a falling out and didn't talk for like a little while. And then I, I don't even know how we started talking again, but we just got like right back into it. And she was, I don't know, yeah, that's a, that's a long story in itself. Yeah, it, those always are, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm hearing is I'm kind of putting this in, in a box, man. Like most of us who are, who are in active addiction suffer, there's four things that, that kind of get out of whack. Home life, right? It sounds like you were, your home life was starting to struggle. Your yeah. health, you know, and, and we're talking maybe some spiritual health, uh, mental health, physical health, right? Your purpose, like you had said earlier, man, I just didn't have a purpose. I didn't know where I was going. I, I'm driven, but I didn't have it, right? And then community. So those four things, if you want, you want to see a recipe for disaster, usually those things are not in play. And when I look at your life, the way you're sharing it, it makes me believe that those four areas were kind of in disarray. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. There was not really any structure in my life. And I, I don't know, it's hard for me to admit, but I need structure in my life. Like if I don't have a plan of what I'm doing, then it's extremely hard for me to be successful. So looking at that, man, and, and understanding that, because I believe that all of us need structure. Because even in our active addiction, we had structure. Yeah. Right, you know what I'm saying? We were relentless in that pursuit for structure. You know what I mean? Because we wanted, we had certain elements that needed to be met. And so I understand that the the way our brains work. So what are you doing today to to implement structure in your life? Uh, so today, I mean, the biggest thing that helped me is the opportunity to be in the treatment program that I'm in. Because it got me off the streets. It got me not being homeless. Gave me the chance to get on my feet. So to answer that question, I have I go to three classes a week that are recovery-based. And uh, I go to NA meetings and all that good stuff. And then I actually just got a job that I really wanted up at Mount Bachelor. It's a mountain here in town, my favorite mountain to snowboard on. And uh, you know, I, the main thing I do is just set small little goals that... I know are obtainable and then I complete those and I can set bigger goals. And that just, that keeps me going, man. It, when I see success for all the work that I put into something and then to finally have it, that just fuels my fire to set higher goals. All right. There's guys are like, okay, Ryan, tell me what kind of goals. Cause I want to, I want to mimic what you're doing. Cause obviously what you're doing is working. So when you set these little goals, what would they be? All right. For example, like one of my goals, I haven't had a driver's license for like four years. Cause I did get a DUI. I'm almost getting my license back. I, I'll probably have it back within a month. I bought a car just through hard work. I applied for the job that I wanted to get and I pushed through it and I made it work. And one of my, like the big goal for me is I want to travel around the world and share this story. And I don't want to do it for anything other than the potential to help save somebody's life or give somebody some hope. Okay. So Ryan, tell me this, man. If you had a message, if you had to coin this, this is Ryan's story, man. What would your message to people be? What do you want them to know about you? You know... There, I'd be, there's a lot that I would want to say, but I would sum it up by just saying struggled 
so much in my life and I've there's been some dark days where I've wanted to give up and I've tried to give up and I firmly believe that life is a gift and every day we have here is something that is not guaranteed and no matter like what's going on don't give up just keep going I saw this thing this guy was holding a sign and it it just said this world is a much better place with you in it and that hit home to me because you know, there's so much going on in the world that if you focus on negativity, there's going to be negativity. But if you focus on positivity, which is everywhere, and there's beauty everywhere, it surrounds us constantly. I've just started focusing on that. And I believe that if you focus on that, your life becomes abundant with it. Okay. So how are you going to take the story? What's your goal? Take the story and you're going to share it, right? Right. So so as you, you mentioned something really important, man, that I, I, I want to hear more about. As you're sitting there on the couch... In mom's house, dark, dark place, man, dark moment. You have a nine millimeter in your hand. You changed the rounds out a few times. You loaded that thing. So there was a mental, there was a mental steps. Does that make sense? You went through a process in your mind. And then you made the comment that you said, hey, if I live, then I was supposed to live. And if I die, I was supposed to die. Obviously, my man, someone's telling you, you got to live through this stuff. Yeah. Right? So. Right. So who is it? What is it? What? Why'd you live? You know, honestly, I think it. my whole life, and I think one of the roots of my addiction was because I didn't have a purpose and I didn't know what my purpose was. Like I said, I have all these goals, but I never really had that one thing that I thought was like my purpose. And I believe that my purpose is me being here right now telling this story. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's no other thing that I can think rationally that would be more fitting than... I survived through that, which I shouldn't have for so many reasons. And I just don't want anybody else to have to get to that point of whatever that is. And just to know that, you know, if you keep going and you just keep trucking, like one more day, just go one more day and things get better. There's not any reason to ever think that you need to take your life. But you know, as well as I do, Ryan, in in addiction, man, in mental illness, mental health, there's some dark. There are some dark days, some dark moments. And in addiction, it's one moment at a time. It's not one day at a time. It's like it's like infinitesimal second by second, right? And, and when that pressure hits, what would you tell someone? Like, how would they – where do they extend to go get help? Because I look at your story, and you said you had no help. You had no team other than people who were pushing you to use drugs, right? Because that was your community of people that that's what you guys were doing. So – if someone struggled with drugs and alcohol right now, mental illness, what's step one? I believe that that is different for everybody because, I mean, everybody has a different, they're in different positions in life. And step one for me was just being so sick and tired of being sick and tired that, like, it got to a point where I didn't even have anywhere to go and nothing to do, and I couldn't even get high anymore. And it took me getting to my lowest low that, I felt I had no other choice than to end my suffering and, you know. But my dude, you shot yourself and then continued to you. So that wasn't even, like for most people, that would be rock bottom. Like, damn, bro, I just, I just shot myself, right? And I tried to die. But that wasn't, I mean, we talk about how addiction is just such a, it's just a disease, man. It's just, it, it takes everything right so here you are you shoot yourself who finds you the cops the cops found you yeah was it like a welfare check where they 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 nobody heard from you and they showed up or they hear a gunshot what was it 
No, it was so before I shot myself, I had 911 pre dialed on my phone. And then after I shot myself, I got up and I grabbed my phone and I called him and I said, Hey, I just shot myself. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. So you were, you were coherent. You had a big old bullet wound in your, in, through and in and out. So it went through your chest, out your side, into your elbow, out your arm. Yeah. Okay. You now had four holes in your body. Yeah. Okay. And you're bleeding out. The cops show up. They, do you get air back from there or do they take you to the hospital? They took me to the hospital and that was in that small town of Primeville. And then they airbacked me to Bend. Okay. Bend, Oregon. Okay. I've been there. That's a yeah. cool place. This is my question, man. So that wasn't your rock bottom. Oh, unfortunately it wasn't. So what was your rock bottom? So my rock bottom was, uh, well, I was homeless and, uh, None of my family was really talking to me. My dad has always tried to stick by me through addiction and tried to help me, but I was living in his car. He was letting me sleep in his car because it was the middle of winter and it was just freezing outside and it was Thanksgiving day. And uh, he came out to his car and he's like, look, Brian, like, I can't have you living in my car anymore. Like, this is getting ridiculous. And I was like, okay, like, I guess I understand that, but I don't have anywhere to go. Like, hold on. So this is your dad. Yeah. And you're you're living in my man's car. Yeah. Why why couldn't you live in the house? Well, so he was married to this lady that uh, their kids were prescribed Adderall, and I was living with my dad in the past, and then I made the decision to take their Adderall, so his they, I wasn't welcome in their house. Got it. I, under, I completely understand. And, and every addict out there completely understands that process. Yeah. Okay, so you're living in dad's car. So for those non-addicts, I wanted them to hear that so they could understand the story and the process that you got going on. Yeah, so I was in his car and he told me, you know, I, I can't be doing this. And at that point, I got pretty mad because I didn't, ha I literally had nowhere to go. Like there's snow on the ground. I had a coat and that was about it. And like a homeless shelter wasn't open. There was nowhere. And, and it's I Thanksgiving Day, bro. yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously there's more leading up to like why he got so fed up with me and all that, but he, uh, I, I got a little angry and I was like, look, like I don't have anywhere to go. I'm not leaving. And he's like, okay, well, if you don't leave, like I was on probation at the time. And he's like, if you don't leave, I'm going to call the cops and tell them that this situation's going on. And I was like, all right, like if you do that, then I'm going to kill you. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And I mean, look. Like, I really meant that in my messed up, distorted mind. I was like, all right, like, because I, I literally would have killed him. But he just, I can't remember his response to that. But he just looked at me and I think he started crying and then walked away. And then I got paranoid. So I walked out of his car and then walked a couple miles to a park. You know, I didn't anywhere to go. My mom wasn't talking to me because of all of my addiction and she kicked me out. And then I'm kind of rambling here, but. Another reason I couldn't go to her house is because her boyfriend, I had tried to fight him a couple of days. Well, I think it was like a month or two before that, and they had kicked me out. And these are all things we do under addiction. I mean, if we're sober, I mean, we don't do these things. Right. Right? Yeah. Your addiction and your mental illness, that was just taking a toll on every aspect of your life. Yeah, everything. It just, everything that I could have done was just it seemed like it was just shot down okay so here's a question at this point in time right now in your life where you were at what was normal what was like everything could you did you have any money in your wallet did you 
Could you uh, go to the store and get a Polar Pop? I mean, so you're telling me that everything was just in disarray. Yeah. So normal to me, man, is, well, was, I mean, there were a few days where, like, I would go dig through dumpsters because I was so hungry that I was trying to find 40 cents in pop cans so I could return them to buy Top Ramen. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't working and I have never been into like robbing people and doing any of that. I just tried to come buy money, like going through dumpsters and getting cans. Cause that's what people are going to ask. They're going to say, okay, Matt, Ryan, how did you, you were homeless, living in a car. You, you had very, very basic essentials, but you were staying in active addiction. So how were you making the money to stay in active addiction? Uh, the main source of my money was pop cans. Like I would go to people's doors and if I saw pop cans outside, I would ask them, like I'd knock on their door and ask them if I could have them. And then a lot of people would just give them to me, but a lot of people would say no. And then, you know, there were a few people that were like rude about it and like looked down on me. And like, I won't lie. There was a couple of times with those people that I would just go take them anyway because uh, I was an addict, and I'm not saying that that's okay, but I did justify it at the time. Sure. So what was your – if you had to put a dollar amount on your addiction a day, because at this point in time, you're using heroin and meth, right? Right. Alcohol was kind of out of the picture. So what was your price tag on a daily usage? Probably like 20 to $40. But you were getting 40 cents off the can, so where was the rest of the money a day coming? Well, I mean – this is in my hometown in Primeville, and like I said, I know like everybody over there. Got it. Like it's kind of a community, and whoever had like there were days where I couldn't get high, and that ultimately is why like one of the main reasons that I did get sober is because I couldn't even get high anymore because I couldn't afford it. Okay, so let's hear. I want to hear your rock bottom, man. So you get kicked out, you're at the park. Yeah. So <laughs> on top of all of that, like I was just heartbroken because. Like, I wasn't thinking rationally, and I thought that I was in the right with everything that I was doing at the time. And so I I was just, like, crying, and I got tired of it, man. I was sleeping in the park for, like, three days, and, and it's cold outside, and people are judging me. They're seeing some kid, and, like, everybody knows me, so, like, they see me, and I'm just like, oh, my, like, I can't handle this. So I got the idea in my head that, you know, if I went over to my mom's house and I told her, like what was going on. And on top of all that, there was COVID going on. So I couldn't go to like McDonald's and hang out inside when it was like, that was the only place that was warm that was open or like a laundromat. All that was closed. So I think that played a huge part in me getting sober too. But I was thinking one day and I decided to go to my mom's house and to apologize to her like sincerely and to her boyfriend. And so I did that. I walked over there and I explained my situation that I didn't have anywhere to go and that I was really sorry for everything that I've done and that I agree that I need to get help. And thankfully, she was like, well, it took a little while. She went and talked to her boyfriend for a couple hours and I was just sitting on the front porch like hoping that I would have somewhere to go. And they come out and they tell me that they're willing to let me stay there until we can figure something out. And uh, yeah, my rock bottom was me having nothing and you know nowhere to go and then thankfully i still had family that would give me an opportunity i love that man so here's the here's the and let me ask you so you're at a park small town people know you did anyone anyone lend a hand not at that time but 
there, I mean, there's so many times that people like, I don't ask for help. Like I've never, I just can't like it. I am not about doing that, but there were a few times, like I mentioned hanging out in a laundromat and, uh, this guy had noticed I was in there washing my clothes in the sink one day and he just kind of looked at me and I mean, he was always polite and he came over and said, I don't know what he said, but he said something nice to me and went for a handshake. So I go to shake his hand and he had a $10 that like, I, I don't know how he even, well, I mean, I guess he knew cause I was washing my clothes in a sink, but there were quite a few times where people helped me out with just random acts of kindness. And I will never forget that. Okay. So you're in recovery. You have 250 plus days. You have a home, a shelter, a roof over your head, a job, a vehicle, some health, some mental health going on, man. So now how do you share this story? How do you get out there? How do you help the next guy? So what I've been doing right now is just, I go to NA meetings every day and you know, a lot of that I do just listen because it's a pretty small community I'm in and most of the people around here do know my story. For me, it's essential to keep recovery number one in my life because if I quit doing that, then I don't think anything is going to be the way that I want it to be. So to answer that question, I'm searching for more ways to share my story. All right. So we're going to follow up with you, man, in a couple of months, dude, and put you back on and find out like what your new purpose is. I know your purpose is recovery. I understand that, man. But there's got to be something big for you, brother, because I mean, I know that this story is is going to help a lot of people. I hope it does. Yeah, I, I do appreciate uh, you coming on and being so transparent with us. I know it's never easy to talk about failures in our lives. There are men and women out there, especially this time of year, man, we just went through Thanksgiving Christmas coming up, that mental illness, that that thought of, hey, ending my life, I'm, I'm an addict, I just can't get this, and your message is, hang in there, man, you're going to be okay. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I appreciate that, man. Thanks for joining the fix or uh, Chase of the Vase. Make sure you visit our website at www.chasethevase.com to learn more about our recovery and how to start your journey of sobriety. A lot like uh, like Ryan is doing here. While visiting our podcast and site, please like, share, subscribe to Chase the Vase Podcast. If you like the show, share it, send it, give it to the loved ones, and keep chasing the vase.